Okay, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here today with Trey Johnson. Trey was a Laker in the 2010-2011 season. This is a first for the Forgotten Lakers podcast. We're actually doing this in person at Premier 24, Trey's Barbershop in Carrollton, Texas. Trey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for even thinking about me for this. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I remember the 2010-2011 season vividly. So uh, I remember you caught on at the tail end and lasted through the playoffs. Um, so one of the first questions I'd like to ask is, how did you get started in basketball, and when did you realize you had a real future in it? Uh, it's funny. I, I didn't really – I can't really say I had a, a vivid start in basketball. Um, baseball was actually my first love. Like mm-hmm. My dad played in the minor leagues for about eight years for the Red Sox. Um, my brother played. My uncles played. So baseball was the thing in our household, but it was just sports in general. So mm-hmm. I was the kid in class when they asked the question, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always a professional uh, athlete, depending on whatever season it was. During football season, it was football player. Basketball was basketball. Baseball was baseball. So I literally had those answers all the time, and I really believed like I was going to play a professional sport. Mm-hmm. So it was – but baseball was the one that was my first love. That was what the one that I was – you know, it was just kind of like that's what we did as a family type thing. I was reading about that you were drafted by the Royals out of high school. Is that Murrah High School? Yeah, Murrah High School. And then uh, before heading off to college, did you get, give any real consideration to going into the Royals organization at that time, or were you focused on college? Um, at first, I was, you know, about my 11th grade year, I started kind of taking more liking to, to basketball mm-hmm. because most of my friends, that's what they were doing. And uh, it just got to the point where, like I said, baseball was like a job for us from, like, a kid all the way up and even though I was good at it I kind of got burnt out on it but um I did take one last like uh real dive into like hey I I think I want to go into the baseball room I was drafted the Royals kind of knew I wasn't as serious about baseball at that point in time that's why they drafted me so low Mm -hmm. um and then like right before the deadline because in baseball once they draft you they got up until a certain time before they have to sign you Mm -hmm. and it's like toward the end of the summer and I was just thinking like uh it was right before I had to go to school because I went to a juco out of school and I just said hey I told my dad like hey, you know tell him I want to I'm serious I want to play baseball but I think they kind of knew so they never technically made me an offer which is also actually illegal but oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> they're supposed to make me an offer but mm-hmm. they did what you, what you call a draft and follow yeah so they can draft you hold your rights you can go to school and I could have came out into the next draft mm-hmm. that's why I went that's another reason why I went to a junior college too because I was a qualifier out of high school mm-hmm. but in high school basketball I wasn't played the four mm-hmm. I didn't really play AAU I maybe played two tournaments because I was so into baseball and so I did a draft and follow and went to the JUCO and they ended up releasing my rights right before the next draft mm-hmm. but at that time I was full-fledged basketball then uh you know I was reading more about your JUCO experience and that you had to get Tommy John surgery well was- I hurt my, so I played my freshman year yeah. in JUCO, basketball and baseball. So I didn't hurt myself that year. The following uh-huh. year, um, I left JUCO after one year. I went to Alcorn State University. First game after basketball season, my first game pitching, tore a ligament in my elbow. Oh my gosh. Needed Tommy John surgery, but I opted not to have the Tommy John surgery because it would have put me out from a year from everything, basketball and baseball. Mm-hmm. Which, looking back on it, I should have had the Tommy John surgery because I ended up transferring again anyway. I had to sit out a year anyway. So, uh, yeah, I just never got the actual Tommy John surgery. 
Did that injury affect your basketball career at all? I mean, I know you had to transfer and sit out, but was your basketball no, career ever in jeopardy? It now? never, it never gave me an issue. Uh huh. Never gave me an issue playing basketball. Um, so yeah, you move on to Jackson State, uh, 2007 season. You were the led the country in total points scored, second in points per game behind Reggie Williams. Right. Lead them to the NCAA tournament before losing to the eventual champion Florida Gators. Uh, what do you remember from that game? I know they had a lot of NBA talent that season with Florida. But what do you remember specifically about that game? Oh man, it was you know it was like a dream. You grow up watching you know CBS, you know hearing the music play and mm-hmm. and Bill Rafferty doing your game and he actually did our game. Yeah, and you know it was just like a dream. I mean we were playing against Florida, who at the time was defending champions, and mm-hmm. I always like relish the challenge and being able to measure my game up against you know guys that are bonafide NBA first round lottery picks things like that coming from a small school you know you always hear well they're not playing anybody and this that and the other but a uh, funny thing uh, David Thorpe who used to work for he may work for ESPN now um, did play development and I can't remember how I got hooked up with him but we used to talk on the phone mm-hmm. and he actually hooked me up with film on Corey Brewer and he gave me a lot of film on Corey Brewer defensively because you know I knew Corey Brewer was going to be guarding me and He's a top defender, you know, real great player. So I knew it would be a good measuring stick for NBA scouts to see me up against him. So, like, the only thing I did before that game was, like, just study tape on Corey Brewer as, yeah. a, as a defender. And I never watched tape on other people. I always watched tape on myself and did, and see what can I do different, how can I be better, and things like that. Like, he was the first guy I actually started watching film on as, a, as an opponent. And like I said, I was only watching his defensive clips. Yeah. So I, I was able to pick out things that he had tendencies of and to do that played into my game and how I can, you know, get away with it and, and be successful against him. And it, and it worked out for me. It didn't work out for us as a team. I mean, they just were better than we were. Yeah, so then coming out of Jackson State, go undrafted. And what was the, like, you know, what was the process? I know it was a couple of years down the road before you caught on with Cleveland. But what were those first few stops like for you in the minor leagues or overseas or wherever you were up to? Man, it was a difficult, uh, a difficult transition on uh, I come out, I don't get drafted, which I thought I should have got drafted. So mm-hmm. that kind of, I took a hit mentally in that. Um, I go to summer league with Miami. Don't really play the way I thought I was going to, you know, be get played. Mm-hmm. That took a little hit. And then I went to camp that year with the Hornets, the New Orleans Hornets. Um, I had a great camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I used to... I used to live with. I started off staying with Gennaro Pargo because we oh, had the cool, same agent. another former Laker. I've tried right. to get in touch with him, but it hasn't worked so out. So we had the same <laughs> agent coming out. So I was training in Chicago. He's from Chicago, so I used to be with him a lot in Chicago. Yeah, I ended up signing with the Hornets to go to camp. So I moved when I went to camp. Prior to camp starting, though, I went there early, so it was before anybody was supposed to report. Mm-hmm. Stayed with him and his family for a little bit, and then me and Chris Paul got cool just out of nowhere. And I literally stayed at his house every single night. Oh, wow. I had a hotel room, but they, I mean, like, me and him hit it off. We were real cool. Yeah. It was cool. His family, they was kind of like, they took me in. Uh-huh. And so that made me way more comfortable on the court. So I was really able to, to excel in camp and play well. Wow. You know, Byron Scott loved me. Um, but that's when I first started learning the NBA business. I ended up being the last cut. And I remember uh, I was riding with Chris Paul to the game. And I... I ended up leaving out. He was like, he always used to wait on me. I said, yeah, hey, you ready to go? I come out, and I just got cut. He didn't know. Oh. And uh, he was like, come on, man, you ready? He was like, 
he knew I had just came from the back, but he was thinking they were telling me they told you you're good. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, nah, I just got cut. He was like, what? Oh, and like damn. he went straight to the GM right then, which yeah. was Jeff Bauer. Expressed his disliking in it. Uh huh. This and other, but I mean, you know, it wasn't anything he could do about it. And that's when I kind of started learning the business. They had a second round draft pick, which was Adam Haluska at the time. Mm-hmm. He was guaranteed money. They had a draft pick the year before. Um, I can't remember his name. He's from Brazil. It's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably so was, was a Julian Wright's rookie year. Yeah, it was a yeah. Julian Wright's rookie year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually played more than both of those guys. Uh-huh. But not Julian Wright, but the two round picks. But they, the, the owner didn't want to eat the dead money. Yeah. And then he ended up trading Haluska in the middle of that season. And he was waived by the Rockets. He never even made it through the whole mm. whole season. But That's interesting. I, I didn't realize you had been in New Orleans that year. I was uh, living in New Orleans at that time. I went to really? Loyola University. Oh, okay. And uh, I worked at the gym at Loyola. And I guess the Hornets place was being renovated or something. And they practiced at Loyola all the time. Uh-huh. So I remember one day I was just sitting at the front desk, like doing homework. I look up and Tyson Chandler walked in. Yeah. I was like, what's going on? Pedro Stoyakovich <laughs> walks in. Chris right. Paul's like, I started calling my friends. You guys got to come down here. <laughs> like I had NBA 2K8 at the time and Chris Paul was on the cover. So I ran back to my dorm room and he signed it. I still have it. Oh yeah. 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 yeah and I remember I got Gennaro Pargo's autograph that day. And, uh, yeah. David West, Peja, Byron yeah. Scott. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no, so that was my <laughs> that was my first, like, business NBA bit. I mean, I had a little bit of that experience in Miami, but I didn't really understand what was going on. But that was the first one where it really, like, hit me. So when I got cut from New Orleans, mm-hmm. that was pretty much my first time being cut. So it was, like, a setback. I didn't understand because I thought if you play good basketball, then you get rewarded for it, but it wasn't the case. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I left there and went to Serbia. So my first job was in a little <laughs> town called Versace. Uh-huh. Nobody spoke English. No, how did Coach you? didn't speak English. My assistant coach spoke a little bit of English. And then there was one guy at the restaurant we used to eat at. He was the only person that spoke English. So how do you navigate that when you, I mean, you don't speak the language, you don't know anybody, and, you know, from a lot of the other former Lakers who have bounced back and forth between the league and overseas, they're dealing with issues with not getting paid on time, if at all. Like, I mean, wh- I mean so what do, you, what do you do day in, day out just to kind of deal with a new situation like that? Uh, for me... I mean, it was my first year. Uh, I took one of my best friends with me. Uh, so he went with me. He was fresh out of college at the time, so he wasn't really like he had to go get a job. He didn't have a family or any kids. So, you know, I basically took him with me. We was in this little one-bedroom apartment. He slept on the couch. I slept in the bed. And it was boring. I mean, it was it was tough for me. I mean, I'm, a, I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, and I go to this small town in Serbia where nobody speaks English. Um, I mean, basketball is kind of universal. You can kind of understand what they're saying when you're in practice and what they expect of you and on mm-hmm. the court and things like that. But just outside of that, it was just, I mean, it was dull. It was cold. It was uh, gloomy. I mean, it was just dull for me. And I, I only stayed there for like three months. Cause mm-hmm. Not just because of that, but like the coach wouldn't play me mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So it was just, it was difficult all the way around. And I just came back and went to the D-League. Yeah, I know you had several stints with Bakersfield. Right. Um, so how, I guess my question with the D-League, um, and then that you were going back and forth with Bakersfield several times, uh, what was it about Bakersfield that made you go there instead of going to other D-League teams or just, you know, going back to Bakersfield over and over again? What was that about? Well, number one, you don't have a choice. So <laughs> when they when I went, I came back to Bakersfield in, like, January mm-hmm. of my rookie year, played about 23 games. Mm-hmm. So if you... They hold your rights. It's just like anywhere else. They mm-hmm. have your rights. If I want to go back to the D-League the following year, 
they have my rights. I oh, think you okay. have to not play in the D League for two years yeah. for your rights to be relinquished and you go back into a player pool. Mm-hmm. So I came back at some point every year about four years straight. So they always had my rights. So oh, I had to it. go back there. Now we could have manipulated the system and asked them to weigh me and this and the other, but uh, at the time my first coach was Scott Roth, who I I mean that was one of my favorite coaches of all mm-hmm. time. Like he was a players he was a players coach. Uh, hard-nosed guy, but he understood the game. He understood players. Mm-hmm. So when I came and played for him that first year, he was returning the second year. So I, I said I would, I was going to go to the league to start mm-hmm. the year that year because I felt like it would be a, a better opportunity for him. And it did work out. I mean, that next year, Cleveland called me up, signed me. I was there for about a month. Yeah, yeah. So what were your initial impressions of playing with LeBron at that time, that year in Cleveland, or I guess that month in Cleveland? I, I mean, I think I just was kind of like, I, it was surreal to me, you know, not because it, with LeBron, because Mo Williams was there too. And yeah. Mo Williams was my high school teammate. We grew up together. So, oh, wow. You know, so that, it wasn't like I was a, a fan, but it was just, I didn't really enjoy the moment. You know, uh-huh. I kind of wouldn't, I, I didn't really understand this. I was happy to be there. Yeah. You know, I was having fun. Like, uh-huh. You know, at that point in time, LeBron was still young. So everywhere we went, mm-hmm. it was like, a, a circus it was like, yeah. <laughs> you know so I just was enjoying all that and taking it in uh-huh. you know and I didn't really play much uh, you know they just kind of people were hurt they kind of needed another body mm-hmm. for practice and just in case and things yeah. like that so it's not like I really had an opportunity to play or you know make a difference but mm-hmm. I mean, it was a best it was a 62 win team best yeah. team in the league I mean it was, it was just fun it was a great experience so when you have situations like that with Cleveland um I mean, are they just expecting you to show up in Cleveland and go get like a six-month apartment lease, or like how? What, is the, no, what they, do they do with situations like so that? So the team can pay for you a place to stay for sixty to ninety days, like where they don't have to be reimbursed or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I, I stayed in a hotel room mm-hmm. in Independence, Ohio, no close to the practice facility. Mm-hmm. Um, they provided me with a rental. Yeah, you know they could do that even with signed players. So. If, traded there yeah the team will pay for them mm-hmm. you know a hotel the player can can say no don't worry about it i'll get me a place or whatever you know the, the team provides you with that okay i've always just wondered about the logistics of that like when the guys are getting moved around if they have to like you know break a lease to get a new one all the time i was just always curious it happened to me in new orleans the second time oh yeah because i was on a non-guaranteed contract uh-huh and obviously i made the team and i was there oh, i was yeah, there for yeah. half of the season uh-huh so i was there up until that year was the lockout year, so the deadline date was different. So, like, in the regular years, like January 10th, January 11th, mm-hmm. where if you're on a non-guaranteed contract, if you're still there on that date, then your contract becomes guaranteed for the rest of the year. For us, it was, like, February 10th because we were pushed back mm-hmm. due to the lockout. And I had just signed my lease because I had just passed my, my day limit and staying in the hotel and the team providing it. Like, yeah. hey, you got to get out. Da-da. I found a place uh, downtown, nice, in the warehouse district. I paid my down payment, oh. my first month rent, gave it to the guy. I think, like, the next day. No, it wasn't the next day. My lights weren't cut on yet, so I stayed, like, at Jared Jack house that night. Because my light, they, it was the weekend, so the, I couldn't get my lights turned on until Monday. So Monday came. We Lights get turned on. My furniture gets delivered. Yeah. We had a game, I think, either on Monday. It was Monday we had a game. I go to shoot-around. We play in Orlando. I'm getting dressed for shoot-around. And I'm always the first guy there and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's weird, man. Whenever you get cut in the league, it's always somebody else to come get you. Like, it's not 
it's never the coach. It's never yeah, the never GM. The GM yeah. It's like a ball boy or oh, no. uh, somebody that works, one of the guys that work in the room, a video guy. Or, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's rarely ever the coach that comes mm-hmm. to get you. So I'm not thinking anything out of it. He's walking through with a computer in his hand. He was like, hey, Trey, coach want to see you. And I'm like getting dressed. And I'm like, oh, okay, I jump up. And I'm thinking he's talking about the game tonight because we got oh, guys damn. hurt and things yeah. like that. I walk in. And when I walk in and he say, close that door, I'm like, ah. Oh, God. I'm getting cut. I knew I was getting cut. Uh Uh-huh. So, I mean, he told me, you know, at that time, you you get your salary, if you're not a negotiated salary, Mm -hmm. basically, your years are slotted. So, at that Mm -hmm. time, it was my my third year of service. Mm -hmm. So, I made too much money. Mm -hmm. We were losing. Mm -hmm. I think we might have been like two and 23 or something like that. Yeah. We were losing. He was saying only we was carrying fifteen men on the roster. Oh yeah. He was like, I mean, you mm-hmm. make too much money, and we losing. He's not gonna carry fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know they give you the whole speed. Is that Monty Williams? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monty Williams. Um, yes, that was a lockout year. But the year before, I really want to talk to you about 2010, 2011 with the Lakers. You initially caught on with them in the preseason, right? And um, so, what were your initial? And that so the little background Lakers were going for their third straight title that year. Right. They'd won the previous two. Probably this going into that season, they were the favorite. Uh, what were your initial impressions of the Lakers organization, of Phil Jackson, and of your teammates like Pau Gasol and Kobe Bryant? Oh uh, man, uh, obviously in college, you know, I I thought Kobe Bryant was the guy. Yeah, you know. Um, I kind of modeled my game after him in college because I was a scorer and mm-hmm. you know I had to carry my team. And it's interesting that in college we ran a version of the triangle. Mm-hmm. So everybody talks about how hard it is to run a triangle and this and the other one. Like it's completely simple. And when you played in the D League, they had a D League team and they ran the triangle. So when you mm-hmm. scouted them, you always had to learn what they were doing. So yeah. I, I learned, I knew the triangle before I got there. Yeah. Um, prior to me going to camp, they had a mini camp. Mm-hmm. They brought in me and like a whole bunch of guys. And I, from day one, I just felt comfortable there because I knew Phil Jackson was a basketball guy. Like, he, did, he didn't get caught up into measurements, how mm-hmm. you jump, mm-hmm. things like that. He's only enamored by Ken, this guy. How cerebral is he? What's his IQ of the game? And is he fundamentally sound? The only thing that matters to Phil Jackson. So I knew that. And I was like, that's me. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I can score, like, but at the same time, I can do all these other things. Yeah. And my... I, my biggest attribute was my IQ. Yeah. So in the mini camp, I felt completely comfortable and I played great. Like before I even left the mini camp, they said, "Hey, we want to bring you to camp." My agent oh, cool. called me. I was in the hotel. He said, "They invite you to camp." I'm like, "Cool." Um, and I went to camp and I played great. Like mm-hmm. had some really good preseason games. I developed a rapport with Phil Jackson where he, I knew he trusted me and mm-hmm. I could defend. He doesn't like small guards. Yeah. Uh, you know, and everywhere I went on the NBA level was they played me at the point other than mm-hmm. New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else played me at the point because in the triangle you really don't need a point guard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm 6'4", 6'5", and I could defend, which a lot of people didn't know because they just know I score. Mm-hmm. But that's because I had to in college. That's the only way we win. I'm good at it, but that's the only way we win. But, you know, I knew from watching guys who came before me, like Lindsey Hunter with Jackson State, and when he came in the league, he was just mm-hmm. a defender and a three-point shooter. Um, and so that, I knew that. So Phil Jackson, you can tell he kind of started trusting me. Uh, he would play me a lot. 
me and Steve Blake would play together, and he would always. I remember we played Utah, and that's when Darren Williams in Utah. Mm-hmm. And he made he told me you guard Darren with like Phil Jackson, you guard. I want you guarding Darren Williams, like because I was a bigger body, I, physical, you know, yeah, things like that. And then like Kobe Bryant was just, I just used to pick his brain. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, I already, you know, uh, he was a basketball god to me from afar, but you know, being around him is completely different. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, he's like a machine. I mean, he eat, sleep, breathe basketball, like, uh-huh. all the time, and he works harder than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Really? Like, ever. A lot of guys have said that, yeah. I work hard, but I'm saying like this. It was one morning, Rasheed Hazard was our assistant coach. Mm -hmm. He was a player development guy. I'm walking out of the gym one day, and I'm like, hey, Sheed, I I had to go do like a physical the next morning. Mm -hmm. My physical was like at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I said, Sheed, this was before camp. I want to get a workout in, you know, before camp start. Mm -hmm. I mean, before we uh, had to come to practice or, or something like that. I said, uh, how about 6.30? He was like, sure, no problem. And I didn't even think, like, why would he say no problem? I'm trying to make the team. I'm telling him I want to work out at 6.30 in the morning. He like, sure, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I come in the gym and, uh, you know, lights off, things like that. I'm getting dressed. And you got to walk through the training room in the practice facility to actually get to the court. Mm-hmm. And the door is cracked. Mm-hmm. And I hear, like, a ball bouncing. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's in here waiting on me. Yeah. I walk in, and Kobe Bryant is in a full sweat. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's about to be done with his workout uh-huh. with she, and they're only doing defensive drills. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not – Kobe don't have a ball. He's not working out with a ball. Mm-hmm. He's working out with, like, fighting over the screen, fighting back over the screen, resetting. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, 6.30 in the morning. He's finna be done. Yeah. So, I mean, that was one of my Kobe stories. Like, Very cool. A lot of guys have really great Kobe work ethic stories. Just as a fan, it's neat to hear those. Yeah. Yeah, so then I know they cut you in the preseason and brought you back at the tail end of the year. You played right. one regular season game against the Kings and a handful of playoff games. When you come back to the Lakers at that point, they had had a pretty good second half of the year. They tailed off right towards the playoffs a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, did you get a sense that the Lakers believed they were going to win their third title that year? Or did they? could you sense that it was just a matter of time before they fell off? I knew it was over with. You knew it? Why was that? I mean, from from the group of guys that I was around at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And then, you know, being the last cut. Uh, and then, you know, Devin Ebanks and their character used yeah. to get sent down mm-hmm. sometimes to our D-League D- team. Yeah. And so, just the vibe from when I came back, yeah, it was just like it had ran its course. Really, like you can tell, guys were tired of each other. Uh-huh. They maybe were kind of tired of Phil's voice, even yeah. though he still was saying the same thing and the right things. It yeah. was just you can kind of tell, like it had ran its course. Uh-huh. I mean, little jokes used to be made. I remember we were in Dallas, and I was living in Dallas at the time. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. <laughs> but we were in Dallas, and we used to always have these team dinners before the playoffs started mm-hmm. then we had another one before the second round mm-hmm. and then when we came to Dallas we were down 2-0 already yeah I lost the first two at home and we had another team dinner and I remember uh, L.O. And, and D. Fish they kind of made a joke like this ain't the last supper is it like oh you damn know, like yeah. making a joke and I'm like oh man it's over yeah oh <laughs> well I like you're living in Dallas I'm from Dallas and so that series you know I grew up here. All my friends are Mavericks fans. I'm the lone Laker fan in the group. So I was just getting so much crap that whole series, oh, especially man. when the, the, you guys lost the first two at home. Yeah. Then uh, I was living in D.C. at the time. 
But uh, yeah, I remember watching games three and game four when the Mavs, I think they made oh 18 goodness. of 23s or something insane yeah. like that. And you lost by, they won by like 36. Or yeah. that was, my phone was blowing up all day, just people giving me crap that mm. game four. <laughs> it hurt me. I thought I was going to get a championship. Oh, I know. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> very cool. Um, but yeah, just for personal reasons, that series stings a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. And I actually live here. I'm like, ah, oh, man. Oh, yeah. It's been a long championship. And yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about your barbershop now. I know uh, it's called Premier 24 in Carrollton, Texas. Uh, what made you start this venture? Uh, I always wanted to have a barbershop. Like growing up, you know, in, in, the, in the black community, like a barbershop is like a, that's like the place of refuge. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, for kids, for grown men, like you go and talk about anything from sports to politics to mm-hmm. religion. I mean, like that's where you learn a lot of your how to be a man type things outside of your father or your family you know mm-hmm. in the barbershop yeah and you just kind of develop you know lifelong friendships and you meet a lot of different personalities in the barbershop so um when i started making some money i started feeling like man i want i would love to recreate that you mm-hmm. know that, that theme that feeling um my cousin um his, his barbershop name is uh celebrity cuts mm-hmm. he was my barber so oh yeah um i tried to do it in mississippi and it was just like never the right timing. I couldn't find the right building for the mm-hmm. right price, and yeah. And he ended up starting his own thing, and I kind of I was still playing, you know, back and forth. And mm-hmm. uh, he just kind of called me out of the blue. He actually moved to the Dallas area about a year ago now, but he actually just called me out of the blue, and he knew about a place that was coming open. We had not spoke about a barbershop in a few years, yeah. But he was like, I don't know if you're still interested, but mm-hmm. hey, I seen this place. You know, I I think it might be something you might like. And I had not even thought about it, but I came by, checked it out. It was already set up for a barbershop, barbershop oh, cool. beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it was a barbershop already. So I saw it. You know, I liked it. I felt like it was the right time. It was. Mm-hmm. I went and talked to the, you know, the landlord, and we worked out things. And I just went full-fledged full into it. Yeah, well, that's at Premier 24, if anyone's listening to this, uh, over in the Carrollton area near Marsh and Trinity Mills. Um, well, thank you very much. Actually, no, I have one more question. This is uh, something kind of fun I do every time I talk to a former Laker. I like to see if they can name every guy on the roster from their year in L.A. So I have the 2011 playoff roster. Uh, let me count the names here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, including you. Let's see how you do. How many of these can you name? Kobe Bryant. Pau Gasol. Joe Smith, uh, Derek Character, Devin Ebanks, Derek Fisher, Matt Barnes, Ron Artest, uh, Theo Ratliff, uh, Luke Walton, Lamar Odom, Steve Blake. I'm missing three. You're missing two. Well, because of my. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I crossed you off. Okay, yeah, so myself. three, including you. So now you're just missing two. Yeah. Um, hold on. I'm probably missing somebody that's very important, too. He is. He had an infamous moment in that playoff series with Dallas, if that's a hint. Who am I? Oh, Andrew Bynum. Yep. One more. missing somebody big because I mean the lowest names was me character and Ebanks I'm missing I said Matt Barnes right you did yeah you said Matt Barnes 
see. Is it a big or a wing? Wing. Probably about your size, maybe even a little smaller. Oh, my man, Shannon Brown. Yeah, Shannon Brown. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm tripping. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's it. You got everybody. Yeah. Uh, most guys miss one or two, but so that's cool. You got everybody. Yeah, I mean, mine was easy. Everybody was pretty much big name guys. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Trey. I really appreciate your time today, and uh, thank you for coming on the Forgotten Lakers podcast. I appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much.